0: Hi, and thanks for joining in on the Pastor's Class podcast. Whether you missed a week of class or just want to re-listen to a message, this is the resource for you. Be sure to visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We hope this message blesses you. And again, thank you for listening. How to keep your New Year's resolution. That's a good one, right? I mean, everybody's got to be thinking, man, you lose some weight. Maybe make a little bit more money, get in shape, how to keep your New Year's resolutions. You know, New Year's resolutions have been around for a long time. They actually go all the way back to the Babylonians who started it by making promises to their gods. And then the Romans adopted it, and in fact, the Jewish people had kind of parallels. One of them was the Day of Atonement where they would basically right wrongs and forgive and let bygones be bygones, but the one that doesn't necessarily follow on a calendar year was uh, Rosh Hashanah. I don't know, it was just fascinating to me that uh, one of the customs of the Jewish people is that they would walk into a body of water and basically empty out their pockets uh, like they were casting away their sins. I don't know what, that's a good uh, visual for me. Casting away their sins. It was just symbolic. And then Christians adopted what they called watch night services, late night services on New Year's Eve to reflect and prepare for the year ahead. And a couple of weeks ago, people started making resolutions. Millions of people all over the world came up with New Year's resolutions. I had Aaron ask you guys to fill some out. I was just curious if anybody's willing, uh, give me some New Year's resolutions that you wrote down. Throw it out there for me. Trust God more. Trust God more. I love that. Serve more. Serve more. Wow, that's a good one. Get closer to Jesus. Closer to Jesus. I See, I got the outcry guys here, man. They're all good. I love this. They're bathed in Christ. All right. Go to a diet. Go on a diet. All right. I'm sorry? Never lose faith in Jesus. Never lose faith in Jesus. Man, you guys are blowing my lesson here. <laughs> well, I looked up a bunch of different lists on Google, and I came up with some interesting ones, Of just some of the ones I, I found. Eat more fish, I don't know about that, but they said it actually helps with your sleep and your IQ and reduces heart disease. This one was pretty good, take a warm bath, and what was really good about this is they tell me that it burns as many calories as a 30-minute walk. I gotta believe taking a warm bath is way better than walking for 30 minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't, I'm not going to let you talk anymore in the <laughs> class, John Go to bed early, that's probably errands, I'm sure <laughs> Volunteer, serve you know. And I tell you about this one, the volunteer, serve Even Harvard agrees In one of their health publications, they said that Giving your time can lower your blood pressure and helps you live longer So you'll live longer if you serve, how about that? Don't eat after 9 o'clock That's a good one. I actually once lost about 30 pounds by following that rule. Pick up a book. That's not my problem. I pick up a lot of books. My problem is I never read them. (laughs) I got this habit. I guess it's like a habit, maybe. It's a bad habit. I buy books all the time, but they just pile up, and then eventually they pile up next to my chair, and I get too convicted, so I just move them to the bookshelf. (laughs) I need to read some of them. Eat salad once a week. They say that it will help your brain... Uh, actually be younger, up to 11 years younger. You eat salad once a week. And then a really good one is use less social media. Probably good for all of us, but certainly good for kids because research has shown that in children, the more you're on social media, the lower your self-esteem. Think about that. And all of these are really good, except for I don't really agree with the go-to-bed early one, but they're all good. But there's one that I really, when I searched on the internet, I really could never find. And honestly, in all the ones that resolution lists that I've ever made, because I, I sometimes think about this, I've never found. And of course, we've got variations of it that I've heard here. But if you think about it, really our resolve for 2018, and resolve is the root word of that, it just basically means to decide firmly on doing something when you're for doing something. But our resolution for this year our resolve, if you will, really should simply be this, a resolve for God. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, that should be at the top of every one of our lists, is this resolve for God, to glorify Him, to be His witness, to get out, to tell people about Christ, to live in a way that's glorifying and honoring to God. And we've been studying a lot about the Apostle Paul and really all of Acts, to a certain degree, talks about his life, and if you had to say one thing about Apostle Paul, you know, he may have had other resolutions, because we know that they were having resolutions back then, but I promise you the one that dominated his life, that was on the top of his list, was a resolve for God. It was absolutely an obsession in his life, so much so that when he was writing to the church in Philippi, in Philippians, what he say? He, he counts everything a loss everything 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 a loss when compared to christ it absolutely 100 percent, dominated his life and if you think about it if it dominates our life all those other resolutions really kind of take care of themselves you know i've said this often if if christ is your only priority you'll be a better husband and you'll you'll be a better employee and you'll serve more If that's your dominating, if that's the top of your resolution is your resolve for God, all those other things will take care of themselves. In fact, my spiritual dad, Mike Fetchner, his life verse was Matthew 6.33 that just says, seek first what the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. And these things that Christ was talking about there were all your needs, right? It was your food. It was your Your drink, it was your clothing, everything that you need, God's going to provide. And I firmly believe, in fact, I stake my whole life on, if you search after God first, if that's your priority, is serving and glorifying God, all of the other things will take care of themselves. All of the other things will take care of themselves. But if you think about it, though, as good as that sounds, honestly, resolutions are only good if what? We keep them. They're only good if we actually keep them. In fact, statistics show that only about 8% of the people that make a resolution actually keep it. And today, this afternoon, Spencer, when he was asking me about what my lesson was about, he asked me the title of my lesson, and the first thing out of his mouth was, well, the problem's not making the resolution. Is that nobody plans. Nobody plans out how to keep the resolution. And he's right. We need a plan, right? We need a goal, we need something in our life to focus on that will help us keep this resolution. And I hope it's a resolve for God. I hope that's our resolution. But here's the good news. You're in luck. Our chapter tonight, the last uh, verses of chapter 9 of Acts, I believe, gives us a focus, a goal that will help us in our resolve for God. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. And we're going to start in verse 20. You know, and the other kind of bonus of this, if you will, is that if you think about this whole Acts chapter 9, it really is a nice um, summary, if you will, or illustration, if you will, of the life cycle of a believer. I mean, from what we talked about in our last class of the defining moment for Christ that Paul had, uh, not just on that road to Damascus, but when he prayed that prayer of belief and believed in Jesus Christ, that defining moment to the battlefield, if you will, for for Christ. I mean, this whole chapter, we'll see, just kind of takes us through that entire life cycle, if you will, because starting there in verse 20, we know that Paul's eyes have been opened, he's accepted Christ, and then right out of the gate there in verse 20, it says, and immediately, immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. You know, and that's also kind of follows, doesn't it, a typical believer, somebody that goes and walks up front in the church and has accepted Christ as their Savior, and you just kind of come out of it on this high, don't you? You know, it's like, if you can think back to that moment, it's like, man, I'm just on fire for Jesus, I'm going to go do great things for God, and you've got this great high, and you got to feel like Paul kind of has that. I mean, he's had a rough, tough life, and done a lot of bad things, if you will, and he has accepted Christ, and we got the very next verse, basically. It says immediately he goes out. I just envisioned him like, man, I got to go. I got to go tell people about Christ. And what does he lead with? He says he goes out to the synagogues, and he's saying that Jesus is the Son of God. And you know, if you think about it, that's really kind of the whole foundation of the Christian life and the Christian walk, right, is that Jesus is God. We know that. Today lots of people out there want to just basically say that all God everybody worships the same God you know and we know that's not true a lot of people want to believe that they want to they want to basically create a peaceful coexistence by making the claim that we all just get to the same God just through, through different ways but no right away the first thing Paul leaves with is no Jesus is God he's the Son of God he is God you know and if you C.S. Lewis, I could kind of misquote C.S. Lewis a little bit, but he said once that if this is not true, if Jesus is not God, then the Christian faith is of no importance. But if he is God, it's of the utmost importance. And the one thing it can't be, he said, is just moderately important. And Paul leads with this, that Jesus is the Son of God. And it says then, And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in jerusalem of those who called upon his name and has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests but saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the jews who lived in damascus by proving that jesus was christ and it says he increased in all the more in strength there it's not his muscles didn't grow. That strength, that word right there is the same strength used in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is, this is God strengthening him. This is God giving him the power and the strength, if you will, to go do what he's called him to do. And honestly, when you look at these next few verses, he really needed it. Because if you look at that life cycle of a believer, isn't it always the case that you start out maybe on that high and you go back into that decision counseling room and you 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 come out and everything seems good and you want to go tell people your story and your testimony. But what inevitably happens is persecution comes. And we see this in not more than a few verses. He's out telling people about Christ. And then in verse 23, when many days had passed, what, the Jews plotted to kill him. They came after him, you know, and in today's world, boy, you know, if you're out there and you're boldly proclaiming the name of Christ, people are going to come after you. It is just, um, it is more and more a reality of the world we live in is that it's just not popular to talk about Jesus. And Paul experienced the exact same thing here. It says, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching The gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples, his brothers in arm, took him by the night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. It's another nice uh, point there about persecution. Often it comes obviously from the world, but how many here have probably experienced it coming from your buddies, from people that you wouldn't expect? I, mean, I know that was the case in my life. Whenever I uh, accepted Christ, I will tell you the hardest people that I had to deal with are the people that had known me the the best. They just couldn't accept it. No, that's that's not the Scott I know. Okay, he doesn't live that way. This all must be fake. It all must be made up. You know, and I had to I had to live a life for a lot of years to prove myself. Probably still proving myself, if you will, to some folks that I knew for a long time and. You never know where it's going to come from. That's why I say this is a really good illustration, if you will, of a life cycle of a believer because it happens to everybody. It happens to everybody. It happened here to Paul. But it says there that Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went out, went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly. Nothing stopped Paul. Nothing stopped Paul. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. That's just Greek-speaking Jews. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, where he was from. And then here in verse 31, okay, it's, it's subtle, but this is, our, this is, the, this is the goal, this is the focus, I believe, that, that helped the early church, that helped the disciples, that helped Paul be successful in their resolve for God. It says, so the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That's it right there. That's the key. Walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They complement one another well, don't you think? Fear and comfort. And, you know, when you look at that, you know, it looks like there's really just two parts there, right? Fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit. But actually, when you really think about it, there's three parts there. The first part is the walking. You got to get going. I thought about this a lot at the beginning of a new year, is, is walking forward, moving on. You know, and I thought I came up with a bunch of different illustrations. I could have talked a lot about Apostle Paul, since that's kind of the subject, right? He said, I press on. I press on to the goal. It's the upward prize in Christ Jesus. I, I pre- got to preach an entire message on that very passage. So I could talk a lot about Apostle Paul. He wasn't looking back. He was looking forward. You know, I, I could also talk about it. was interesting to me that do you realize that Noah, when he was on the ark, that the the first time he came out and the rain had ended and he saw the first glimpse of land was the new year. The rain was behind him. Blue skies ahead. Or I could have pulled from the great Charlie Brown. It's another great person to quote from, right? I was reading the comic on, I never read the comic. I don't know why I was reading the comic. Maybe the first time in like a decade on a New Year's Day. And I saw this comic and it was where Charlie Brown had said, this year will be my year of decision. He was telling this to Lucy. But she reigns on his parade, as always. She says, no, Charlie Brown, I'm going to spend my whole year regretting the past. Regret, regret, regret. It is the only way, Charlie Brown. But you know, the reality of it is a lot of us do that, right? A lot of us just want to sit around and think about the past and what might have been. We can get you know, buried in depression and sadness. I think it's one of the reasons you see so many people take their life this time of, or in the Christmas and holiday season. It's just... The regret that's no way to live is it we need to be living forward god is not a god of regret he's a god of the future we're moving forward and i like this one too that was from will rogers he said even if you're on the right track you'll get run over if you just sit there (laughs) i love that he's right you got to keep moving so the first part of this goal if you will that we need to adopt i think is a class for 2018 is we got to be moving forward we got to be walking Got to be going, pressing on, as Paul said. And then the second part of this is, when we're walking, we need to do so in the fear of the Lord. In The fear of the Lord. Now, what does that mean, to walk in the fear of the Lord? How do you look at and think about the fear of the Lord? Well, first all, I would tell you that if you're not a believer, this is a real scary fear. Right? This is a real scary fear because you're dealing with eternity. And Jesus actually over in Luke in chapter 12, he says, listen, there's no reason for you to fear man. Don't worry about that. All they can do is take away your mortal life. And that life is like a mist anyway, here today and going tomorrow. But who you better fear is the God that controls your eternity. Because, listen, that lasts forever and ever and ever. So there's a real fear if you're not a believer. But if you are a believer, this is not a fear that's based on being scared. Although I could argue that a little bit of scared might be good for you. But this isn't based on that. We, we worship a loving God. In fact, he says, the Bible says that he builds a shield around us of love. So it's not about, I'm afraid of God. But this is a reverence. It's an awe, ah, if you will. This is, this is about remembering that this just isn't any old God. We need to continuously remind ourselves. This is just not any old God. This is creator God. This is Yahweh. This is the God that the Bible says knitted us together in our mother's womb. Okay, this is the God that controls everything we are and everything we will be and everything that we do. And for me, I think about it all the time in terms of just trying to get my visual around this. And one of the, the best to me is, is Moses. Remember when he, uh, first when he approached the burning bush and God said, remove your shoes, you're on holy ground. And he, he bowed down because he couldn't look at God. You know, just the reverence and the awe of this all-powerful God. Or even later, when, remember when he was asking God to show him that, that he had his favor. And what did God say? He said, okay, I'm going to show you. You're going to get to see me, but you can't look at me. Because if you do, nobody looks at me and lives. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass by you and you'll be able to see me from the back. I mean, just the power of that, isn't it? I mean, when you think about a God that controls everything, you know, the Bible says in in Psalms 2, it says that, that we should serve the Lord with fear. Why? It says because even the ends of the earth are in his possession. And to me, there's just something. When I think about it that way, when I think about every part of my life, being controlled by this creator, God, you know, knowing that every step I take, the Bible says, was determined before I even took my first step. I mean, that, that'll change the way you live. It changes the way you go through a, a day and the way you think about our God. I mean, I think about it just in terms of my children. When they're young in particular, I certainly as a parent play that role in some respect. I mean, their whole life is in my hands. I can let them do things or I can not. And I will tell you, I think that, you know, use William as an example. I I, I think William obeys me because he he loves me and he knows how much I love him. But I promise you, there's a healthy amount of fear there because he knows I control his life. You can ask him after class. I bet he'll agree with it. And you know what? That's good for him. That's a good thing. It teaches him, but you know, the other thing about parenting, and it's a good example, is then they start getting older, and they get more like Spencer's age, and you know what? You lose some of that control, don't you? All of a sudden, you don't have as much influence, and you know, you don't control them the same way, but I promise you this, and I tell it to Spencer, I may not, but God does. God does. God controls Spencer's life. It won't always be me. But God's in control of it. So if you walk and you live your life with that mentality, I promise you it's going to change the way you live. And then the second part, the second part of this, second side of this coin, if you will, is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's a healthy balance. And in the Greek, if you looked at what it means, it means an intimate call, this word comfort, or a holy personal urging that's used by the Lord to motivate you and inspire you to to do his works. Uh, I looked in the dictionary, and it says it's a, a state of physical ease and freedom. And I know that some Bibles, I think the New Living Translation, uses the word, instead of comfort, it uses the word encouragement of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, when I look at that word, it just doesn't seem to capture it to me. You know, because, I don't know, there's something about comfort. And the Bible says that our God is the God of all comfort. And to me, when I think of comfort, I just think about like that, like that blanket like that good old blanket. I bought Erin a blanket for Christmas, and I think it was the best gift I've ever bought her because she takes that blanket everywhere. I mean, she takes it to bed, she takes it to the couch. It's like her, just an old blanket. And if you think about this word comfort, and you think about it in that terms, I mean, go back to like when you're a kid or when you know a child that has their favorite blanket. Think about what they get from that blanket. I mean, think about the security that they feel, that the the, the stability that it gives them, the confidence that it gives them, is it the strength that it gives them. And I would say also the freedom it gives them. That's, that's, what, that's what they're talking about here. That's what Luke, when he's writing this, is talking about is that you've got to have this healthy balance of this reverence and this awe and this fear. But remember that you also walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we so often forget about the Holy Spirit. So often in our life, we just don't rely on the power of God that lives inside of us. It's just incredible to me how God of this God I'm talking about and I'm describing is inside of us. I mean, Jesus said that I'm leaving, and that's a good thing because the Holy Spirit's coming. Think about that, just in and of itself. And, you know, I, I once passed out a list of the 20 things that I pulled from the Bible. I think there's many, many more of what the Holy Spirit does and, and it strengthens you and empowers you and leads you and guides you and teaches you so many things that the Holy Spirit does for us. In fact, I've talked about it before. Uh, me and uh, and one of the coaches at the Dallas Mavericks, a guy named Mike Weiner, we've been I've been discipling Mike now for a little over three years, and in those three years, we've never ever missed a week. And this week, our 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 verses are from John chapter fourteen, and it's talking about that. If you love me, you will obey me. And it says it over and over and over again, but the really critical part of it is it said, I'm going to send whom? The Holy Spirit, the helper, so that you can. Because honestly, without that Holy Spirit, without that helper, you have no chance. You have no chance. And honestly, I really believe with all my heart that we have no chance to live a life and have a resolution and a resolve for God unless we're relying and depending on the Holy Spirit. Honestly, we will never ever do it without the Holy Spirit. And listen, even if we do this, even if we, are committed and we're resolved to walk forward, to move forward in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it, it won't be easy, right? Resolutions are rarely easy. We know that it'll probably be hard. It's going to require conviction, you know, which basically means that you want it. More than anything else, you want this. Okay, you're going to go at it with all you've got and it's also honestly going to include some interrelated goals I I did some research on um, What it takes to keep a resolution and all the experts would say you need some interrelated goals to your main goal Okay, so if you're wanting to lose weight, maybe your interrelated goal is you're going to cut out sugar and carbs All right Well, I I came up with some interrelated goals that I think will help us Okay in our primary goal things like prayer How about that one Every day spending time in prayer I think sometimes we we we, we put too much pressure around this the Bible says pray without ceasing I mean it just needs to be a part of every day of your life your walk is a constant communication with God Or or how about a daily devotion It'd be another great way to start Or read your Bible I know that Jordan and Stuart and I think Darren's now joined and about 40 other people around you know, our community has, has pledged in, to read the whole Bible this year. And I've been doing it with them. And honestly, I've read through the Bible before, but I've never done it on this Bible app. It's actually very easy. You know, sit down at the beginning of the day and, and you can read it. So read your Bible And then I went and I looked for some others on Google. I was trying to think, okay, can I like somehow marry up what the experts say you need for all resolutions to our walk and to our resolve for God? And I came, they came up two that kept showing up over and over again, which I thought was kind of funny. The first one was community is the studies will show that the people that are the best about keeping resolutions are those that do it as a part of a support group. People walking with them and helping them. You guys at the outcry, you know that better than anybody. But let me tell you, that's what this is. This is what a Bible fellowship is supposed to be all about. Helping each other. I mean, with our resolve for God, our resolution, our goal, our focus. I mean, that's why it's so important to be here. You know, I know there's all kinds of reasons to miss, but, you know, if you're, if you're able, you should just be here. I mean, John barely gets up the stairs. and He's here every week. You just got to be here. You has got to make it important. It's got to be a priority in your life. I mean, honestly, I would tell you it's more important than just about anything you could do, being in a fellowship with, with believers. You could quit your job before you miss this class. I'm not really saying that, but <laughs> I want to make the point, though. We'll, we'll, we'll put anything and everything in front of the fellowship of believers. It's just amazing to me. I, at one point in time, I was keeping like a list of all the excuses, there's every one you can come up with. Okay, it's too nice outside, it's too cold outside, it's raining. If it rains, I'll, every time I'll tell them, well, we're not going to have a horrible class tonight, it's raining. Nobody can go to church in the rain. It'll kill them. It's important, though. If you want to you keep this, you've got you to gotta have resolve. Be in community. And the second thing is accountability. I, it was one of someone's resolutions, and that's, they were talking about it in terms of exercise. That's why people that have someone that they exercise with, studies show that they'll stick with it. Longer Because there's an accountability there boy the bible is couldn't be more clear about this right that iron sharpens iron Everybody needs somebody to hold them accountable Everybody needs to be in a relationship with someone that they can talk to somebody that can give them advice Okay, somebody that can hold them accountable And while these resolutions though can be hard All right, because they are all resolutions are hard, but let me tell you they can be equally as rewarding. Like When you lose all that weight, it feels good, right? You get in shape, it feels good, right? Well, look what happens here. What does it say? It says, one, that that they had peace. Boy, that just sounds great to me. In the, the world today, peace sounds really good. But also it says that the church multiplied. See there at the end, it multiplied. They went out. They added in number. And you know the other thing that they did when they went out, they, they just performed all kinds of miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, look at the last part of this where Peter, it says, is talking now about Peter, how he went out in verse 32. He went here and there among them all. He came down also to the saints who lived in, in Lydda. There he found a man named Enos and bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed. And after Peter said to him, Enos, Jesus Christ heals you in the name of Christ. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. People were, were healed physically and spiritually. And then down after that, he goes over further into to, to Joppa, to Tabitha. I love, you could do a lo- whole lesson on Tabitha. It says there that she was full of good works. Man, and that's what I want written about me in God's book, by the way. That It was full of good works and acts of charity great person obviously but had died and Peter goes there and as in the words of Christ down there in verse 40 says Tabitha arise and she opened her eyes and then at the end down there in 42 and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord they went out and they did the impossible did they not and how'd they do it in the name of Jesus and look there in verse 40 it says that Peter knelt down and prayed Prayer in the name of Jesus. It's, we forget about the power in that name and the power in prayer. They go out and they perform all these miracles, do all the impossible. When I was reading and thinking about this and just you know thinking through for us in our own life and our resolve and if this is our focus and if we go out and make this our goal and we have all this you know desire to serve God and we really believe in the Holy Spirit can we not do this did it go away do we not have the ability in the name of Jesus and by the power of prayer to change people's lives and the answer is we do we have this ability I read a quote from Stephen Furtick he said If you're not believing God for the impossible, you're missing out on the best part of being a Christian. Let that sink in. If you're not believing God for the impossible, you're missing out on the best part of being a Christian. I mean, we worship a God that's the God of the impossible. So for us this year, 2018, let's go out, let's let's believe God for something impossible. You know, let's go out, let's make our our resolution a resolve for God. Let's make our goal to walk, to move forward, to press on, to not get bogged down in what's back there. We've all made a lot of mistakes. We could talk about that and we could dwell on it. But we need to be moving forward. And when we do, let's move forward with this awe, this respect, this fear for God. Never forgetting the Holy Spirit, the comfort that we get, the strength that we get from the Holy Spirit. You know, and listen... It's a daily walk, right? It requires effort and conviction, prayer, get in your Bible. You know, go after this class and talk to, to Darren. I, they want to expand this, this group of 40 people plus and have maybe this whole class that's signed up to read through the Bible. I can't think of anything better than to get up every day and to, to read a part of the Bible and just be committed to it. That's the accountability that I was talking about a few minutes ago. But let's make our resolve for God. All those other things, I promise you, will take care of themselves. If we do this, there's one thing I can guarantee you. One thing I can guarantee you, that God will do something this year in your life that you will, never could have imagined, you never could have dreamed. Because I promise that God will do the impossible if our resolve is for him. Amen? Amen. Let Amen. me pray for us. Father, thank you for this night, God. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that for each and every person in this room, Lord, I pray that in this year, 2018, God, that our resolve would be for you. And Lord, that each and every day, God, we go out Lord, we live for you to glorify you, God, walking in fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, God. I pray, Lord, that as we go, Lord, as we trust As we believe, Lord, you for the impossible, God, I pray, Lord, that you will do miracles in and through our lives. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. God, I pray that we will each and everyone use it in 2018. In Jesus' name, amen.